Hello, everybody. Welcome to the State of Mind podcast, where we create space for conversations about mental health that change lives by bringing you the stories underneath the slogans. We want people to know that they are empowered by their experience, not inhibited. My name is Mike Stroh. I am the founder of Starts With Me, a consultancy that specializes in K-12 education and workplace mental health. I am a psychotherapist, and I am someone who has lived through a variety of mental health and addiction challenges, and I am generally fascinated, interested in, inspired by all things around mental health and well-being. And I am so pleased that you take the time out of your day to be here and to listen. And on today's episode, our guest is Meredith Dawson, who is an advanced emotion freedom technique practitioner, EFT practitioner, and a well-being educational consultant. She is a childhood educator, a mother, and a human who has faced her share of struggles. She has discovered that there are key tools and techniques we can all use to thrive. Each of these is directly connected to one thing, our ability to move back to our breath. After 25 years in education, she chose to focus on serving teachers and their students through well-being practices and programs that are family-friendly, school-savvy, and best of all, emotionally empowering. On today's episode, or on this episode, we talk about a lot of challenges that teachers, parents, uh, students, children face in schools, what the overarching framework for our education system looks like, how that impacts teacher and student well-being, how that impacts parents, and what are the things that we can do to improve this situation. Furthermore, what can we do as individuals to promote our own well-being so that in the roles we play in life, whether that's as a parent or a teacher or in our workplace, as friends, etc., how can we put ourselves in a better space mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically so that we can be the best version of ourselves and so that we can also be of better service to the people around us. I think Meredith has a lovely joy, the the joie de vivre. She has a lot of great wisdom and insight, so I hope you enjoy this. Without further ado, I bring you Meredith Dawson. Perfect. Hi, Meredith. Thank you so much for doing this. And I always ask if the guests can introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about who you are and what brings you here. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me here, Mike. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Um, yeah, I'm Meredith Dawson. I am a educator out on the West Coast of Canada, and I know you're back on the East Coast. Um, my journey as an educator started over 20 years ago when I went into the field of early childhood education. But my passion has always been social, emotional health and learning. And after spending the last 20 years in the early childhood field, um, I was able to move into the field of using my skills as an advanced uh, EFT practitioner and an outdoor educator to support both our youth and our teachers and educators in their mental and emotional well-being. So that's kind of the mission that I am on now. And that's what I'm doing. Awesome. 
And how did, how did you, when you start an EFT, can you, what is that? What's the acronym? Oh, EFT. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that briefly. So EFT stands for emotional freedom technique. And it's a combination of physical touch where you're actually tapping on acupressure points in your body that help to create a biochemical response within your body, it helps to lower your cortisol levels and to be able to open up spaces for, for healing and calm. But then it also gives you an opportunity to talk through your feelings and to talk through your experiences. So whether you're dealing with trauma or limiting beliefs, anything like that. And what emotional freedom technique does is it creates spaces for us to be able to work through things. So when we are having emotions in our hearts, when we're having, you know, mixed up feelings in our heads, and those are taking over our experiences, it gives us the opportunity to, to work through them. Awesome. So. Actually, then on that note, can you just run through a quick example of, of how that would work? Absolutely. So I'll give you a really pertinent example to us on the West Coast and actually in my hometown of, of North Vancouver right now. So a um, little bit of a tentative subject, but this past Saturday, we had quite a tragic event help happen in our community. Um, and it was quite a violent attack on our community. And Ooh, oh, wait, pause. Yes. Wait, Meredith, I got in. Sorry, my internet went unstable for a sec. Sure. Can you just, uh, it started cutting out when you said I'm in North Van and then. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. So no problem. So in North Vancouver here where I live this past Saturday, we had quite a um, unfortunate traumatic event happen in our community that involved an attack on our community in a central community space at our local library and where people were hurt and one person actually unfortunately lost their life. And within a few days of that, our community had the experience of some local fires as well. And so knowing that those triggers of the sirens and all the different responses that were happening to those fires were going to be setting off traumatic responses within our community, right? Even if we hadn't directly experienced the former trauma, yeah. I was able to support people in calming their nervous system by using tapping. And it was actually just simply tapping on the inside of your finger points and talking through their feelings, reminding their bodies that they're safe. So, and encouraging those slow, deep breaths to be able to calm their nervous system. So awesome. that's quite an extreme example, but I also use it when kids are struggling with catching their breath because they might be feeling emotionally overwhelmed or anticipating a test in school and doubting their abilities to be able to achieve a goal on that test or feeling overwhelmed when they're walking into a situation where they simply don't feel safe or confident. Those are all different areas of life that we can use tapping to simply calm our nervous system and bring it back to a quiet space where we can find our center. That really is the way that I love to describe it. It's a bit like Jack Frost says in the movie uh, uh, Rise of the Guardians, where he talks about, I need to find my center. And once we find our center, we can move forward with clarity and with confidence. So, awesome. yeah. Thank you. Okay. And I think the question I was going to ask before that was, had you always had that focus when you started in, in early childhood education or did that evolve and how it's kind of, what's the story on how that all evolved and how you got to the work that you're doing? Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, when I started in early childhood, I was in my early 20s. So it was before mm-hmm. I even had my own children. And we've talked about that, about how as an educator, things change, especially when you suddenly have your own kids. And so for me, education was always the piece of opening up spaces for kids, creative flow, um, engaging in play. But very quickly, I realized that for children and for adults all throughout our lives, emotions are our way of communicating. It's our way, our body's way of communicating with us. But then we don't always have the tools and the space to be able to communicate that to our environment. And so it became a real passion for me quite early on to support children in having healthy ways and those toolkits to be able to process and to be able to move through experiences and not come out on the other side having the message that they were too emotional or that they were, you know, an in, their emotions were inconvenient or wrong. And I thought that was such a crucial learning for our children to have young. So when we get into our 20s, 30s and 40s and, and onwards, we feel confident, right, in expressing our emotions and expressing the what is seen as positive and negative, but what I like to see as empowered and disempowered. So it's like when you're, when you're dealing with stressful emotions, it doesn't mean that they're negative. It just means that there is something you need to process. And so I spent a lot of my career looking at different tools, learning how to teach kids things like journaling, meditation, yoga. And the EFT actually came to me two years ago. And it was simply by an experience I had. And then it really supported me in moving through some challenging times. And I started using it in my classroom with my students and with my parents and with my fellow teachers when they were overwhelmed. And that's when I knew that I had a piece that I had to get out to the world. Right on. Um, actually, I want to let's if if you're open to doing a and describing an a scenario. Well, because we, my wife and I, have owned a private daycare for a while, um, for a while, I don't know, almost ten years. And what you're saying about you see it so often, um, and it happens automatically. Our our the adults in the rooms desire just for tranquility. So it's like, how can I shut down this irritation as fast as possible by whatever means necessary? And I think obviously that's gonna happen from time to time. But when we can learn how to do that more effectively, uh, it's so helpful, of course. And so for example, if one child the typical example of one child's playing with a toy and another child comes and grabs the toy and then they get into a little fit over it and they're both yelling or crying or who knows whatever the outcome is the emotional expression of it the frustration yeah right exactly and so oftentimes you hear parents or adults just say oh just share just share or wait your turn or whatever it is but i think and you can see the kids light up when you help them put some sort of words to what they're actually experiencing. So maybe, maybe you could walk through a little scenario on how, how you would talk kids through that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think the place to always start is with yourself. So if we as educators and as caregivers are going into an emotionally charged situation, feeling charged ourselves, we're not going to be able to provide the level of support that we want to. And so if we even started with before we stepped in, like I said before, tapping, there's acupressure points all over your body for tapping. But one of my favorites Uh is the inside of your finger point, because you can actually sit there and squeeze it or just tap on it anywhere. 
And so if you're standing as an educator and observing what's going on and you're like, okay, I can see they're frustrated. You can, I can, I can take a deep breath before I step in. I can take a look at what they're saying already or what they're doing. How can I best support them? Like give yourself some space to plan first, to respond instead of react. Cause that's such a big thing, right? Especially when yeah, it's like yeah. littles. Yeah. And then <laughs> when you go in your calmer, and I've always believed that if we can add to the calm and not the chaos, it's going to diffuse a lot quicker. And that's not easy. We know that as parents, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not for sure. Yeah, It's not, but we don't give mm -hmm. ourselves enough space and the grace of space to be able to just take a moment mm -hmm. and, and, and find that space. And when, what happens is just to explain the basics of EFT scientifically is, yeah. which is really neat when we are tapping on these acupressure points, we're actually interrupting the electrical impulses in our brain. So when we're, we have the electrical impulse, we need, to, we need to react. We need to get in there and fix this. We need to stop them from arguing. It's gonna disturb the rest of the room. All those automatic reactions. If we can interrupt those and calm our bodies, our heart rate goes down, our blood pressure lowers, our breathing slows down, then we can go, oh, okay, wait a minute. I can actually hear Tommy saying to Sarah, you know what, can I have one more minute? Maybe I don't need to step in. Or maybe there's an idea. Maybe I can find another toy. You know, it just creates such a flow, a better flow of the energy instead of, I love thinking of it as instead of the energy coming up against each other like this, it's able to flow. So yeah, so that's how I yeah, like to think yeah. about it. So that's what I would do. But then also too, with the kids themselves, you could come in and say, let's use our magic fingers to figure it out. Let's everybody stop and tap on our magic fingers and give our bodies a chance to calm down. And maybe we can figure out a solution. We can figure out a new idea. And kids love that because then they're empowered. And that's what mm. I know that you and I both want for, for all youth is to feel empowered in managing and navigating their mental health and their challenges, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. cool. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I guess where my thoughts are going is the, I really love, I think we talked about this when we first spoke while, about the, well, just self-compassion and, and how powerful that can be. And to layer that into sort of what you're saying is to, yeah, labeling our discomfort and I don't like when kids do this or I'm having, I need my own time out here. And, and can I pause and sit with those feelings, label them perhaps. <coughs> and then when, when I guess I'm kind of curious what you think about the, I think I'm, although I do practice self-touch and soothing sometimes, not, not tapping because I'm not familiar right. with, but um, layering in, uh, the labeling of emotions, right? And I think a lot of times when I see, I'm not in the daycare nearly as much as I used to be, but I think sort of saying something like, um, oh, you're really angry because you can't have the toy, right? Or, or are you, to me, it looks like you're mad. Are you mad? Are you frustrated? Are you, exactly. and the kids kind of Oh, it's almost, you can see them being soothed in the moment almost. And then you can go to the other kid. Uh, oh, was it annoying that the so-and-so how, is... how, how is it that you're feeling and give them some options? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, I yeah. Love how, I that's call a great that question. Seen, yeah. heard and supported, right? We right. all want to be seen. 
yeah. in our experience. We want to be seen in our in our authenticity of our experience. Yeah, we want yeah, to be yeah. heard because it, yeah. it's um, and then we want to be supported through it. Sometimes we yeah. need support. Sometimes we want to deal with it on our own. Yes, and yes. So yes. I think for kids, one of my passions is expanding people's emotional literacy. Because yeah. we have very, like, we have mad, we have angry, we have frustrated, we have sad. But there's so many other things in between those black and white emotions. But giving kids just a few key things to be able to tune into, and they might go, well, actually, I'm not angry, but I'm frustrated. And that's mm. a different, that's different on the emotional scale, right? Yeah. So when they understand that they have control over it, well, if I can say I'm frustrated, and now I can move to the next best feeling, like, how can we help get you there? It gives them a process, right? And I think we underestimate how even the youngest of kids, when you provide them with the tools and a bit of a framework, yeah, and then you just are there to support them. You're not there to do it for them because at the end of the day, you can't be there all the time, yeah. but you just give them those tools. And that's my passion is like start young and then also start at the top, you know, with our educators so that it can yeah, trickle yeah. down, <laughs> I think is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Cause we also need it in our own lives to honor our experiences, right? Time. Yeah. We've come through generations of hearing we're too emotional. Emotions are wrong. Better seen and not heard is an old one. Um, that'll, that'll, <laughs> we carry that with us. Right. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and that impacts us hugely not being able to have like your post today was so relevant, Mike, about stigma, right? there's a stigma around kids having a temper tantrum. It reflects on me that I'm a bad parent. It reflects on us as educators because we're not keeping a peaceful room. It's their chance to express their emotion and their emotions are overwhelming. Yeah, so it's sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm writing notes down here because I don't want to forget. Worry, I love it, that... I love okay. it. I think um, <laughs> I want to share a word with you that came Please. to mind. Yeah. Um, and it's a word that I feature. Um, I, I'm, I'm a lover of words. I'm a writer as well. And sawabana is a Zulu word. And it's the greeting the Zulus use with each other. And what it essentially means is, I see you. And by seeing you, I bring you into being. I recognize you are here. You are, you are, are part of my existence. And you're an essential part of experience. And it's such a meaningful thing when you can hold space for someone, whether it be a small child, a youth, another adult, and just hold that space for them and create a space where they can find their own inner leader. Like I don't call myself, I think instead of people saying, oh, you're a teacher, you're a leader, you're a coach, you know, you'll, you'll coach me through this. I'm like, no, I help you. I hold space for you so you can find your own inner coach, your own inner healer, your own inner leader. Because at the end of the day, I want them to feel empowered to be able to then shine brighter because they have that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I love the, just the idea of holding space. It's, it's, I think because it's hard to, or you can't put it into a material thing. And so when people who aren't practiced in these things, when speaking about it, I think it, it's one of those things that you just wish you could implant the <laughs> felt sensation of here. This is what it feels like to hold space for somebody. And isn't that beautiful? Just and, do this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everything will be fine. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah I and, love, and, but I and do holding love that. space yeah. allows us to replace judgment with mm. noticing. So, yeah. in, and not just judgment of others, but judgment of self. 
So sure. instead of moving from, oh, I'm so angry and I shouldn't be feeling this way. Oh, I noticed that I'm feeling angry. And, yeah. and it's, it's that knowledge. So emotional freedom technique isn't about being free of emotions. It's about, it's about releasing our attachment, our emotional attachment to our thoughts. So when I notice that I'm angry that something's happened, I, I can go, okay, I'm noticing that. And now how can I hold space for myself? What can I shift to? What's really trig what's being triggered within me to create that ripple effect? And it's so that noticing and that holding space are just softer. They're more yeah. gentle and it's more loving and mm -hmm. more em like mm -hmm. empathetic and kind, which is what we want to foster. Yeah. Which are all, I think that, that orientation to experiences, uh, I guess, described differently in different kind of approaches or whatever. But I think my experience with that is rooted in the mindfulness practices and stuff. And it's, it's just articulated in different ways, but it is the, one of the specific, it's not so much uh, explicit in cognitive behavioral therapy, but in acceptance and commitment therapy, the specific tools are to say, I am noticing that I'm having the feeling of X. I'm noticing I'm having the thought of Y or whatever it is. And that's a similar um, And it's practice. interesting that you yeah. say that having instead of I am, because when, yeah. when we, it's like when we say to a child, the difference between a child being bad and they're having an emotion. Like you, yeah. you, you know, if, if you say a child is bad or their behavior, their behavior is not a great choice or it's a choice that is guided by their anger versus the child being defined according to their emotions, a, a, any human being defined according to their emotions, because then it takes away the ability for them to be able to move into a better space. And yeah. so if we can say, I love that when you were saying, I am noticing that I am having and emotion. it's separate. It's, it's, it's outside. Yeah. It doesn't own us. It doesn't control mm -hmm. everything about our, about our identity. Mm -hmm. So and which I, is really yeah, powerful when it comes to mental is, health, right. And emotion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hugely powerful. And I, I sort of notice where I have a hard time with my own kids, excuse me, is why well, it's, it's my, <laughs> it's my own problem, obviously, but the way it comes out with them is when they're behaving in a way that's unhelpful or et cetera. Instead of me, I mean, I think when I'm not doing it well or in alignment with how I want to be doing it, I, I, I do, I label them with the behavior, right? Like you're being a jerk or you're, you're, or being... you're being frustrating. Or you're, yeah, yeah, or you're making me angry, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and I, I just, I always try to remind myself of like, it's okay when you, I think another thing parents have a hard time with is they don't want to, or I guess child uh, caregivers in general, whatever, teachers, parents, etc., is that by, by admitting that you've handle the situation perhaps not as well as you would have liked that you're somehow opening yourself up to a critic like a criticism of some sense you know what i'm trying to say and, and yeah there's can a I coach fear someone there. else or teach someone else if i'm not living it a hundred percent of the time if i'm not well, in that but they but they don't even want to admit that they've done it poorly yeah. because i don't know i guess 
well, there's a bit of shame there or guilt or something, but, something. Yeah. but there's some, yeah. And I, and, and it's interesting because we always like, I, for me, I try to practice and I endeavor, I endeavor to practice, to meet people uh-huh. where they are. Right. Right. To have compassion, to have like, there's always a framework. There's always a context to why somebody is doing what they're mm-hmm. doing or mm-hmm. choosing mm-hmm. an emotion or like feeling a certain way, but mm-hmm. we forget to do that for ourselves. Right. And I think if we can teach mm-hmm. our youth that it is, no, it's not okay to re- lash out and hit someone, but it is okay to be angry. I, I, I've raised my kids teaching them as best as I can, because we all have our moments. Mm-hmm. You can have your anger. You can't throw it at me. You yeah. can't, it's like you, so you physically, you can't throw it. You can, sh- if you need to share it with me, if you need to be able to bet, like it's, there's, there's the difference, right? The language yeah. is so powerful, but it's yeah. true. I think when we hold ourselves in a certain place as a coach, a teacher, a caregiver, we expect ourselves to be on it all the time. And we simply can't because at the end of the day, we're all human. And I think if we could hold space for more humans that way and show more understanding towards others and perpetuate that in our society, you would hope that it would catch on. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. um, okay, we're, we're straying a bit away from one thing I wanted to mention about what you yes. were saying earlier, which was so nice. And it doesn't only apply to kids, but when you said, I just, my note was sort of about boundaries, but when you say, when you allow the child or person for that matter to make mm-hmm. the decision whether or not they want your help or it's sort of you you're giving them the choice or you're offering them the opportunity to create that sense of agency you know because you I said that's important. you pointed out yeah you pointed out the difference of uh, helping a child label their emotions etc cetera, etc cetera. but then you also said something it was so nice like letting them figure it out themselves, or I can't remember how you worded it, but I think giving them options. So when you, when you're working with any human being, you can notice things. I notice that you said this, and this came up for me. I'm wondering if you're feeling angry. I'm like, I wonder is when it comes from my outdoor education background, right? I wonder (laughs) is a key phrase that we use all the time. And it's, but it's like, I wonder, are you feeling angry? Are you feeling frustrated? Like, I know when I say that I'm feeling angry, but I'm, I'm different, like recognizing that difference and just having that conversation. And I think that's the beauty of it. So like tapping for me is because it starts a conversation with our own bodies and it teaches kids. You can have a conversation with your body. So, because if you're not sure how you're feeling, hmm, I'm feeling really tight in my shoulders. I wonder what that means. Why am I tight in my shoulders? oh, I was feeling it, you know, and things come up, right, into their space. So holding space for somebody, whether it be a child or an adult or in between, and then having that ability to just, yeah, say, I noticed this, and ask questions, and just be curious. Being curious is such a beautiful thing. And if we say to the kids, let's be curious about how you're feeling right now. Because then what it does is instead of them being on the defensive, they're allowed to be, like you said, that sense of agency is so important because I think that's something that we, when we look at teenagers and I know you work a lot with teenagers and I have teenagers and I mean, I look and I've worked with them too. And it's like, they just want to do it themselves. They don't want anybody's help. But if you gently notice things with them and just offer it, and then you back away and leave it, Sometimes mm-hmm. they come back later and they're like, so, you know, that thing you said, <laughs> it actually kind of worked. Like they hate to admit it sometimes, but it's a beautiful thing because I go, well, it didn't work because I offered it. It worked because you chose to use it. Mm. Right. 
that's that yeah. comes back to that agency and that empowering so yeah definitely yeah that's nice and i think it's important to remember when when with teens they've been that we've they've evolved or our species has evolved for that age group to push away and to want autonomy and to not follow the norms and, and et cetera. And thank goodness for that, because we would never, I They'd guess. They never leave home. <laughs> well, <laughs> that too. But as a, as a larger group, we wouldn't create new things. We wouldn't push boundaries. We wouldn't have that impulse for exploration and, and curiosity. And I find that really interesting as well to kind of, I think that gets left out of honoring their need for independence. Like we think it's like, well, why aren't you just, oh, it's the rebellious teens or it's the whatever. And yet um, when they're yeah. younger, we can't wait until they can tie their shoes themselves or make dinner <laughs> themselves. But then right, it, right. there's those things that we still want to hold on to. And it's an, it is an interesting, um, it's a dichotomy, right? It's that, it's that yin and the yang and the balance with the light and the dark. It's like, you know, last, I'll, I'll share this. Last night was the first night ever that my 13 year old, she's just turned 13 at the end of February, went up into her loft bed and I went in, I was like, oh, what, you don't want to, and she's like, no, don't need a kiss tonight. Thanks. Good night. Like I'm done. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? Like it just suddenly shifts. Right. But then I have a tw almost 20 year old and she'll come home from where she is and she'll be like, oh my God, I need hugs. I need kisses. Whereas I remember going through that whole no kissing with her kind of thing. So it's that just allowing them like, and being, mm. Be, uh, trusting that you have given them everything that they need to feel safe in that independence, to feel safe, to leave the Harbor, like that whole thing about the ship leaving the Harbor, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you want. You want, I, I mean, I always say to parents when they go, aren't you sad? Your kids are leaving home. I'm like, I want my kids to be confident, competent citizens. I want them to be out there and like engaging and exploring. If I wanted them to be home all the time, I would have like done everything for them and that's not going to work right we can't do that yeah. can't do it forever so I love oh. that about teenagers I think it is a real challenge but there's so much there's so much opportunity right now to engage especially with the way the world is shifting to engage our teenagers and listen to them listen to the ideas that they have and like really hold space for them because they are brilliant and they look at things differently to us because they don't have the layers of doubt and all the things that we've carried with us over the years you know they're still a little bit more open and a little bit more like they're not cynical right Hopefully. yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> um on that note actually what what how do you balance this sort of i think i'd say perhaps the youth mental health engagement strategies or the way young people have been supported, I'd say maybe the last five years or so. Um, I think there's been a, well, I'm not actually sure. I'm really curious what you think. I So my opinion would be there's been a little bit too much uh, just whatever the teens say is is true for them or this is my experience. Therefore it is true. And you must accept it as true no matter what. And the, the adults in the room and in schools, universities have just, I don't have a better word for this bent over basically. And just said, yeah, whatever you need, whatever I believe, I believe, I believe. Yeah. Um, Off you go. Yeah, sure. We'll believe. Yeah, exactly. And not questioning and not being right. questioned or challenged so, to, to, to think of yeah. a different perspective. So how, how would you, 
describe the need to honor them, listen to them and so forth, mm-hmm. but not just um, what's the cosign their perspective without pushing back a bit, or at least questioning having, it or, or having whatnot. a conversation. Yeah. Like, right, like encouraging right. a conversation. You know, it's an interesting one. And what comes to mind for me is the fact that like, I always have said with my own children and with work that I've done with children, say when a child comes running up to you and they go, Mike, 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 I need to tell you so-and-so did something. And you're, and I would say to them, well, that's actually not your story to tell. Like, I need to hear it from the person who wrote the story, the person who did the action. And then I might hear from you as a, another character in the story, like maybe it, you were somehow affected. So when I talk with teenagers and with like 20 year olds and, and I work with them, it's about like, okay, so what's your story? Like, how do you see this story unfolding? Because I see it from a different perspective. I'm a different character in the story. I might mm-hmm. be a completely separate, like a third person or whatever, but I'm, or I might be somebody that you've directly impacted. And I think when, with, especially with teenagers, I find that if you come at them and you go, oh, no, 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 I know better or I know differently, they're yeah. not ready. They're, their minds aren't even ready developmentally to be able to hear that. But if you go, oh, that's an interesting story. Like that's your story. Those are your facts. But facts are not indisputable, right? Because we know this, like right now in science, apparently there's new things they've discovered about physics that might actually disprove some things in physics, like and that stuff that's held true for hundreds of years. So I always say to the kids like, well, what do you think? Like, is it possible? And they're like, no, it's not possible. I'm totally right. I'm like, okay, well, go try that out. Like, I'd love to uh, get back to me and let me know how that works for you. Because I think when we, again, create that space, unless it's going to involve emotional harm, you know, or physical hurt. Yeah. There's a time when we really do need to say, okay, I can see that you need to explore this more to determine whether it really is your truth. And because our truth changes over time. Mm -hmm. And, and I've, I've come to understand that we can't solve everything. We don't have to, and we don't have to solve everything as parents, as caregivers, as coaches, as leaders. To me, a leader in any sense, in any arena, is supposed to be there to activate conversation, to activate change. But it doesn't always mean that you're the, you know, you're the main stimulus or that you're the main idea person. It's just, you're activating a conversation. So... Yeah, I think with kids, the, the way that things have gone in the last five years, I absolutely concur with you. I, I When I hear, oh, no, 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 like the, the, it's the child, this right and that right to be, to me, completely right. And I'm like, well, no, because we have to be able to have conversations and have contrast and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, but I've worked with kids where that's the way they've been raised. And sometimes you actually, I put my hands up and I go, okay, well, I can't have a conversation with you right now. I've kind of given, I've offered my piece. I'll leave you with it. If you ever want to come back and continue this conversation, I'm always open to it. I never close mm-hmm. the door, but sometimes I just say, we'll take a pause. Yeah. 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 Huh. And so um, to, to take one of the things you mentioned before about, I love the idea of wonder and curiosity and et cetera, and how, I think it's clear that kids have been, their outdoor time has been <laughs> reduced a bit over the years, although I don't, I know that anecdotally, but 
Whether that's totally true or not, I'm not sure. Um, I do know in Ontario, there was a period of time where they actually ripped out all the playgrounds from all the kids' schools because of insurance issues or whatever. It was insane for over like a two-year period. Now they've been put back, but um, I just, anyway, that's a bit of a side topic. How, <laughs> that's a whole when you do your, risk analysis. yeah, it is. Yeah. When you do your outdoor education stuff, because mm. you mentioned this idea around wonder and curiosity and et cetera, how, what does that look like? And just how, how, yeah. How do I anticipate? How do how do we move about that? It's this sure, is a, yeah. such a timely conversation because I was I've been having this conversation with a lot of parents because um, there's been some work done out here at UBC at University of British Columbia with a lady named Maria Brissoni and a few other people. Ian Pike is one of them as well, and it's all about let's make um, play as not as safe as possible but as safe as necessary. Like, you know, we're gonna to have to manage the risk, but uh -huh. we still want children to feel challenged. And more, like something like 77% of ER visits for children is off of solid metal playground equipment. It's not when they're climbing a tree. It's not when they're trying to scale a log across a creek. It's not, it's a, because they are aware of the risk. They're much more aware of their proprioception and their environment rather than standing on a metal structure, which they think is solid and is gonna save them. So when I take my kids, whether it be um, solo, when I have grade twos and fours that I take into the forest, we've been doing it since October every Wednesday, called Wild Wonder. And then just recently I've reestablished doing the parent participation aspect. So I just came from a class this morning where I had eight families in the forest and it's all the way from, I think my youngest this morning was 10 months old up until five-year-olds and they're moving through the forest. And it's my goal to create a conversation around how to navigate, right? Our bodies, emotionally, physically, all the things in the forest. So when I'm working with the kids that are older, they definitely have more free range, right? They'll go off and they'll do things. And what we do is we, pre we create guidelines. You need to be in vocal, like you, I need to be able to hear you. Right. Like you can set those kind of expectations with the kids. And I think that's really key because it's that sense of agency, that sense of empowerment, that sense of trust and them learning to trust their own bodies and to, to negotiate with their own selves. Where do I feel safe? Where, how far can I expand my bubble? Right. And that comes down to emotional health as well. I don't feel safe climbing that tree, but I might feel safe moving out of your eye shot right? And that empowers them emotionally in other ways. So when it comes to the younger ones, it's a bit of a different story because it's more of the parents' fears that show up, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 they can't like climb that tree or they can't, or, or here, let me help you down. And I'll say, well, maybe they have a plan to get down. Like, let's talk about it with them. Do they have a plan to get down off that tree? And it just starts all these conversations around actually conversing with our kids, being present, but also allowing them that space and that agency to, to fall, to make mistakes, to find new ways and to um, work through the things that come up in their body and say, oh, I noticed that I'm feeling a bit scared, but I can still do this, right? Mm -hmm. And I had a girl this morning who was trying to climb something and she just, she kept slipping, kept slipping. And she said, looked at me over and she, I said, what do you want to do? And she goes, I'm not giving up. She goes, I'm using all my strength and all my might. And I'm like, this is four-year-old. And I, I love it. So that's her attitude now for life. 
she's going to know that she can use all her strength and all her might, no matter what she comes up against in life. Mm -hmm. And that's why I do the outdoor education. It's like one key piece between my, my work that I do in schools and supporting teachers and supporting children in schools. And then I have private clients that I work with, and then I have the outdoor ed piece, but it's all based around using those different social emotional tools to be able to really create that sense of inner leader and inner strength. So that when they come up against challenges in life, no matter where they are, they kind of go, oh, wait, I've got this. I know I can kind of tune into my, into my inner leader and I can get some guidance and I can trust my body because it hasn't, it, you know, it, it hasn't failed me. So. What are some of the things you mentioned, just mentioned about working with uh, teachers and in schools? Perhaps where, where is, where are the gaps, I guess? I mean, there's lots, but in your world, where do you see some gaps or where do you see a need and also the desire for the need to be met? Because I think a lot of times, I think you said it earlier, if people aren't ready or they're not willing to listen or whatever, can't do much, but is there an identified need from the teacher's end and the school's end on here's something we know we want to work on and let's do it kind of thing? Yeah, it's an ongoing conversation um, about a system, I think, especially um, the school system as it's set up right now. Kids go into school at five, they go through until grade 12 or in, you know, in Ontario, I know grade 13, right? That's the way it's set up. That's from the industrial revolution. That was set up to be able to get kids through, educated and into the factories and into the working, working spaces, right? And our kids have changed, our society has changed, but school, the school system has not completely evolved with it. And I know that especially with the experience of the past year has really brought it to light with COVID. But even before that, um, from studies that I've read in the States where they've seen that kids who have adverse childhood experiences, as they call them, they call them ACEs with the tests in the States that they do, if they can intervene earlier with the tools, like specific tools and techniques to empower these kids with, when they move into adulthood, they don't suffer the mental emotional trauma and then the extensive like the addiction and all the different things that the expressions of that trauma that end up happening. But what I see as a big gap here, and I identified it, this is what really shifted me from actually choosing to leave my school district position because I worked for the North Vancouver School District for eight years. I'm technically still on leave until the end of June. Um, but I was doing that program where a program we have here called Strong Start. So I was with early childhood families and students, but in the school. So experiencing the teachers and the stresses they were going through and then the stressors and experiences of our community and of our families. And we had an experience in our community a few years ago where I noticed that the children who were very um, clearly traumatized were getting the support they needed. But the kids who were quietly dealing with it weren't. They, they, they weren't calling out for a counselor. They didn't, they were just kind of getting along until one day some, one of them, like he, bro he broke. You know, I was at the water fountain with him and he fell onto the floor and just started crying. And this was a grade seven student who hadn't asked for help because he didn't know how, because he didn't have an IEP. He didn't have a need to be at the counselors, but he just needed a way to process what was going on in his body. And when I realized I looked to where he could be, 
And the message I kept getting was, well, we have it in high schools because we know that teenagers struggle. And at the time I had a grade nine daughter, so I knew she was struggling. We dealt with her dealing with different issues. But I was like, but these kids, these younger kids, they need something. They need to be supported and to be resourced, richly resourced with these tools. And I kept getting the answer, well, we have this little program and we have that little program, but nothing consistent. Who's gonna do that? Well, that was me. I was like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> Here we go. So that's where I developed the program, the back to breath program, because I realized if kids could have a program and educators so that not only are the educators supporting themselves, they're using it in the classrooms actively. If they could have a program that isn't more work on their plate, because that's key for teachers, right? It's like I come in with all the resources. I even have the report card statements and like everything that they need to be able to fit the curriculum, all the curriculum lined up and stuff so that they can say, okay, so today, like we're scaling and we're doing it's journaling, meditation, mindful movement, energy medicine, tapping, and essential oils come into that as well. And different, different tools that we can use to be able to say to the kids in this situation, you might need this tool or you might need this tool and they can have their pick, they can have their agency. Um, and it becomes a, I, want, I, I see this gap where what it needs to become is just a regular part of the curriculum, right? Out here in BC, when they redid the BC teacher's curriculum a few years ago, physical education became physical health and education, and there's a mindfulness component. But the majority of teachers don't practice mindfulness. And I think you have experienced practicing mindfulness, and it's not something you can just teach. It's like you were saying about holding space. You can't teach someone to hold space until they've experienced what it's like. And so tapping all of those mindfulness tools once you've experienced them, you realize so quickly how transformative they can be in your own experience and in others that you just want it to be like, hey, so we're doing math and then we're doing mindfulness and then or, or we're like, or, or let's just stop and start the day with finding our center, checking our energy. What's the energy of the day? What's the energy of our class? What happened in our community maybe recently that maybe we're still like juggling? Okay, let's tune that in. And then let's move forward. Not just let's sit down at our desk, get our books out and do our lesson, right? Not the old yeah. school way. So I yeah. see that's where, the, that's, where the, that's where the gap is. And that's my goal is to fill that gap. Like you're doing with your work, that beautiful work of celebrating mental health, right? It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something that is separate. We are a physical, emotional, mental, and energetic body, right? And we have to honor that from birth right through until wherever you believe the end to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 um, I think there's, there's, I've, I've heard from a few principles, at least in, in this, in Ontario and Toronto, really, where they're, they are specifically trying to introduce consistent check-in practices you might want to call them whatever it is and i think at least where my my own thoughts get caught up and where i think a lot of people get caught up is mindfulness or these sort of breath practices or self-awareness self-awareness practices because they're not 
material or it's very hard to quantify them. Mm. Um, our obsession, and I think in some ways it, our, I was going to say our obsession with um, quantifying everything, I guess you could say, or uh, evaluating everything, um, the need to do that. And I do acknowledge that is important in a lot of ways. But when it comes to these more social, emotional practices and skills, those things are hard to quantify. And therefore, it's so easy to just say, oh, well, it's not working. So why are we going to do this? Or it's so hard. I don't want to do that. Or the kids don't want to listen, or they're not doing it right. Or that, you know, it's just the litany of excuses. Yeah. And then excuses and rationalizing and justifying that our minds, that's what they do. And so there's a tension there that I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just kind of speaking out loud or thinking. No, I think it's, it's a curious thought because I think we, as, um, as a society don't like sitting in tension. We like mm. things to be, it's like, oh no, no, that would be hard. That would mean, and I had a, stu- a teacher actually say this to me, that would mean taking my curriculum that I have had laminated for the last 15 years of teaching and actually changing it. God forbid, like, and like, I mean, but that's what makes life exciting. That's what makes life curious. That's, and I think it's that reactivating curiosity in the way that we, we, when we think about how we want our kids to walk out the door at the end of the day into the world, how do we want them to walk out like full of like their head full of noise and thoughts, or do we want them walking out with like an open heart and an open mind and, and being compassionate and being curious. Um, and I think it's true about quantifying. And I think what it takes is finding those little moments or those stories and really collecting them. Like if there could be somebody who could just collect all the stories. And I know one that started me off was there was a school in the States that was in a very like affluential area, like had everything else going for it. But for some reason, behaviors were really high and marks were really low. And this principal came in and he said, okay, we're going to change things up. The bell's still going to go off at this time, but for the first half an hour, I believe it was every day, everybody is outdoors and we're all doing outdoor activity. Like they had, so they had like stations and if it was really bad weather, they'd have them indoors, but it was active, like exercise, right? Moving the energy through our bodies physically so that when they sat down or when they went to the, do their, their other activities, they were focused. They'd cleared their minds. They had reset their energy. Marks went up, behaviors went down, like within month, like within like three months, that was like really clear. So I think it's that thing of having those strong leaders who believe so fiercely in what the value is of what they're bringing to the table that they go, you know what, you need to give me, you need to give me six months. Like, this is a big thing. It's like having a new leader of a country coming in and expecting them to fix it in a four-year term. It's not going to happen, but you've got to believe that those little ripple, those, if you keep putting it in there, it's going to create a bigger ripple. Right. So I think that's the thing is finding those stories and then just staying on, like staying on the path, staying the course. Yeah. 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 That's, that is the big one. Staying that's the hard one. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, it is. And, and as you mentioned, it has to be experienced somehow. And I think there's a, one of my favorite mindfulness teachers, I guess you could say John Kabat-Zinn talks often about how once our bodies get a taste of the benefit of 
having these practices and doing them consistently, then it starts to crave it in some ways. And so I think uh, contrast is important too. And noticing, okay, when we don't do it, this, this is what tends to happen. When we do this, this is what tends to happen. And, and so it does take that commitment or courage in some sense to stick through the fire or stick through all the whining and complaining of this isn't working and it's too hard and da, 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 da. Um, and it has to happen personally as well for the leader or the teacher That's or the whatnot. Right. Yeah. Like you said in your, in your um, post, it was about embodying. We mm. have to embody the qualities that we want to instill. And it's like why I choose to take my kids into the outdoors more than anywhere to work with them, whether it be my classes or whether it be just when I'm doing like a one-on-one -on -one client. And it's because if we want our, if we want our children to be invested in saving the world and saving the environment, they have to love it. They have to experience it. So if we want them to be better humans, they have to experience how good it feels because it comes down to how you feel, not what you do as a human. We're beings, we're not doings, right? And so that shift of understanding. And I think I love it because it's actually, I think it's um, that same um, yoga or mindfulness teacher, um, John, who said, meditation is not about getting good at meditation. Like your meditation practice is not about getting good at meditation. It's about getting good at life, right? And that's why we practice. We're all practicing at being better humans. And I think if we could give ourselves, that's kind of a beautiful thing that I just realized is like, we always expect as adults to be experts or once we have our degree, what if we were just all practicing on being better humans every single day so that we could have more compassion for the kids when they stumble and more compassion for ourselves when we stumble? Okay, I stumbled, but I'm still practicing and I'm still getting somewhere. Right. And then taking time, like you said, to notice and to just really recognize and celebrate that. That's so important that we don't take enough time in society to do, to celebrate our youth, our kids, our adults, and like the things they're contributing. Yeah. And also on that note, it's celebrating the failures too, or the, the challenges and the, we're so averse to that. I think you said something along the lines of being averse to discomfort or we don't want to sit the in tension. any type of dis the tension yeah and yeah. it um i think another piece of all of that is forgiveness like we are so i don't know if it was ever any different but i do seems that our ability to have grace and being being forgiving to others who fail or who we may not agree with, or et cetera. There seems to be a, a reduction in our willingness to be forgiving, but I don't know if it ever was there to begin with, but I think, I don't know. I think yeah. it, would be, it, would be, it would be nice to think that it, it was a, an essential part of being human that maybe is a vulnerability. If I forgive that person, am I condoning what they did? If I forgive that person, am I, is it, does it mean that I'm less of a, like, you know, does it say something about my own integrity, about my own values? Instead of forgiveness is, is just about clearing the space. It's about, I'm like, I mean, a big part of my work with the, with the different um, tools is hooks, right? Emotional hooks. When we hold on to something that somebody has done, instead of saying, you know what, they were doing the best they could with what they had in that given moment. And it, no, it was not great but I'm not gonna to choose to carry it with me and make it part of my experience from this point forward. So I'm gonna take that hook and I'm gonna like say, okay, I'm releasing that and I'm releasing you. 
And I think that's the thing that we've forgotten. It's forgiveness is not always also about the other person, right? It's about clearing the space so that we both have a chance to heal and to move into like the next part of our experience. And I think there's a change that has to happen too, because we think of life, so many people still think of life as linear, right? We were born, we do this, we do this, and then we die. But it's not, it's cyclical, right? We go through seasons, we go through times when we're really high energy, we're feeling really positive, feeling really negative, feeling really tired. Like we're just cyclical beings. Sometimes we bump up against somebody else that's in a different part of their cycle and we misunderstand the interaction and the energy exchange. But I think if we could start remembering that we are energetic beings, right? We actually are energy flow and water and all of those components <laughs> that make up our environment. Okay, then when we come up against somebody else, let's have a little compassion. I think compassion, it, it comes before forgiveness. And if we could be more compassionate beings and you maybe don't look to human history, but look to animals, right? If we look to animals in the way that they can be compassionate, even cross species, you see it, you know, in animals. And my first, my first um, experience at school was doing my anthropology degree and it was doing, and it was cultural anthropology, but a lot of it was in with the animals as well. And it was really interesting to see even studies of stories from different cultures, how it's always expressed through animals, those higher mm. values that we kind of reach for as humans. Yeah, so. that's interesting. I love the, uh, the forgiveness piece, a couple of things. One is we can forgive the person and not the act, or not the, whatever it is they did, or sort of we can say, I forgive you, but what you did is unacceptable, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm which I think is helpful to clarify. And then I think yeah, you also said about something along the lines of, yeah, if, if I'm willing to forgive, there's a lot of judging maybe or noise about, oh, well, does that mean I'm weak? Or does that mean I'm uh, something, does that say something about me that's bad, so to speak? And, and then, if we get stuck there or hooked, as you say, then we're trapped or we're the ones who have to sit with the, there's a, you know, that famous saying about, yeah, we, we, we forgive not for the other person, but to free ourselves in some ways. And, and that's a, that's a, it's, it is, seems to be counterintuitive a little bit, right? Because as, as animals, we, we're still very much wired for survival for physical safety. And now that our physical safety is not nearly as threatened as it was thousands, hundreds, thousands of years ago, our minds are still attuned to emotional threat as being physical threat, you know, like, and I think yeah. that, that when we were talking in our first conversation and we talked about, like, I was explaining to you, like how with our amygdala, which is still so active in our brain, right. It's the most ancient mm -hmm. part of our mm -hmm. brain. It's what controls that fight, flight, or freeze. And, you know, we have our prefrontal cortex that covers our amygdala. And most of the time, right here at the forehead, it's working, right? We're making responses. But if we go into a stress response, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. And once that amygdala is exposed, there's no negotiating with it. It is like you need to fight or you need to freeze or you need to flee. Sometimes you even need to faint. That's like that, you know, play dead response. And so unfortunately, we go very quickly to that, especially when we've been going through long-term trauma, 
So when you think of the past year, when I look at how people are treating themselves right now, in something as seemingly benign as these Facebook groups around hiking and different enjoyable activities, and yet someone will make a comment and very quickly there's a litany of judgments and accusations and things. And I think, wow, where's our humanity? But people's adrenal systems, are all of our, 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 our managing systems in our bodies that control our physical um, like responses, our hormones, but then those also trigger our emotional responses with the cortisol and everything going up. On the long-term, because of what we've experienced, our adrenals are worn out. So our nervous system is on like high alert all the time. It's completely burnt out. And we can't, if we don't have the tools and the awareness, that emotional awareness, shift into a better space. And that's where like the work that we're doing is so important, especially right now, because giving creating the spaces, holding those spaces, and then richly resourcing those spaces with tools so people can choose what resonates for them and what works in their moment, that's going to be able to support people in going, oh, wait, that guy just cut me off in traffic and I could totally like go after him in my mind, but boy, I hope he's having, a, like my friend always says, I hope they're having a healthy baby. I hope he's like <laughs> rushing to the birth of his child and that's why he cut me off, right? And I love that reframe, right? It's like, okay, if we could do that, then you kind of laugh a bit. You're kind of like, oh yeah, that feels better. That's a more satisfying thought. I'm going to go with that thought, even if it's not true. Um, because the fact of the matter is, is it does us good because then we stay in a healthier space. And then that affects everything that we impact from that point forward. So, yeah. I mean, if we can, if we can, from the, from the start, give our kids those tools, they're going to be so much better off than us when they reach this age bracket because they're not going to be like, all I ever heard was I'm too emotional. No, they're going to be like, oh, but my emotions are empowering. That doesn't always mean that I get to use them against others. Like they're going to have a framework. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I think they, that's probably, I know uh, Yuval Noah Harari, the, he wrote the book Sapiens and other books, but he always says when asked that emotional awareness and that skill set's the most important thing for young people to learn for the next, I guess, the next generation, whenever he's asked, because our, as you were mentioning, sort of the, when our stress responses are triggered, uh, a guy, Tristan Harris, who's one of the directors of The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you've seen that movie I on Netflix. I have not yet. It's but pretty I've good. It's, we need to watch it. Yes. Yeah, it's good. And he always says the the social media companies are and even the news media actually he what he says uh it's a race to the bottom of the brainstem <laughs> because it's all they're just constantly trying to trigger people's stress response by the headlines and the the algorithms and etc and that's what keeps people hooked on the yeah. on the negative information and and if you when we don't when we can't recognize that we're in that pattern it can get so unhelpful and so toxic. It just, it's terrible. And I, that loop, it's that pain loop, right? Yeah. That our bodies yeah, get into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we need to be able to recognize it, at least just start to recognize it for people. I know I, I do my best. I don't find social media helpful, really. Like I, for, for work wise, I, I, I recognize its utility, 
But when I'm actually consuming it as a human, I, 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 within 10 seconds, I have the thought of what am I doing? Why am I even doing this right now? And then if I, if I say, oh, I don't know, then I try to turn it off. And if I actually say, oh, wait, no, I actually came here to read a message or to send someone a message, then I'm like, okay, that's what I'm doing here. But I forget so sim- so easily. And I don't believe that it, I don't know, we tell ourselves the story of, oh, it has all these positive things, da, 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 da. I don't know. That's an easy, easy to justify description of why we're all using it so often or why it's so relevant. But I don't know if that's true. I don't know. What do you think about, um, about all I, that? It's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, there's certain ones that I'm definitely moving away from. And I like things like TikTok and all these people talk about all these things. And I'm like, why? Like, it, it just to me, it doesn't <laughs> hold any relevance. Or even my daughter, like the older teenager, like Snapchat and things like that. And I now know all the hideous things about Snapchat. So I'm like, there is no Snapchat or TikTok in our house. Instagram, I find I have to be very mindful and selective about it. I'm very mindful and selective about most things because there are people out there that I feel richly resource my work Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. connection. And I like, and I feel inspired by them or like, you know, and I see they're doing good work and they align with my values. But then I see others out there who are just like, it is, it's like, they're filling a hole. Like they've got all this stuff on their social media and they're trying to fill something that they can't find within themselves. And that's where I go, okay, that's really dangerous, right? You don't need to be reading that. You don't need to know the news. Like I, la- I laughed at my youngest one will always be like, I'm just going to check the weather. And I'm like, open the window. Like you don't need to check the weather on your computer. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, nice try, nice try. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I, think it, I think there is a place for it. I think it's really interesting. Um, years ago, I went to the Children and Nature Network. They hold this beautiful conference usually in person every year. And um, before I started speaking at it, a few years before that, they brought it to Vancouver and for the one-off and I got to go. And there was this fascinating uh, presentation by an Australian naturalist who has created an app in Australia for, especially for the children who live in the outback who will never see the ocean in their lifetime, but he wanted them to be feel invested in saving the ocean. So we created experiences for them on this app that would really viscerally help them understand and see the value and feel good, like feel about the ocean, right? Create feelings around it. So they felt invested in learning about it and and supporting it. So that I see as it as a tool. He was basically like, look, yes, technology can be really tricky, but here's a way we can use it positively. So I think it's really important to be like with anything in life, really mindful about how we use stuff. Like I'm choosing to be on Instagram today to look at these stories because I find these of interest and then I'm choosing to be off of it, right? But recognizing that choice within ourselves, which people are like, oh, but, oh, but. And I'm like, no, 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 you have a choice. (laughs) So let's just see where it started. You know, don't get caught up in that pain loop that we do, we tend to do. So, and then it's sometimes it's just fun too. Like I always find it's, I'm I'm a person who, my family, it's only my core family that's here in Canada. The rest of our family is in New Zealand because that's where we came from originally. And I have family in Australia as well. And so social media is one of those things where we get to stay connected, especially with the ways things are right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely, like you said, it can be, it can suck you in. So 
Yeah. And it's good to be yeah. aware of all those little trips because I love I love that quote. It's a race to the bottom of the brainstem. That is yeah, it's really good. So good. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, and and insidious, wow. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is. So. Um, I, I actually, I just if you can, I know we're kind of the time is is going on. It's amazing how time flies Loving when you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. The. I'll, I'll give an example and then I'm just kind of curious what you, because something you said brought it up is noticing, I think it's really helpful for people to notice which, what is, what's their intention. So one is set the intention of why am I going to check my Instagram or whatnot? Mm -hmm. um, and even if, so for example, if I habitually just open it, open the app. Sometimes I remove them completely from my phone, depending on mm. which I just find the easiest thing to do. But mm. if I am noticing myself kind of uh, mindlessly checking it, just the simple check-in of, oh, I'm mindlessly looking at Instagram. And, and then I can choose, okay, well, that's okay. Like, I don't have to necessarily judge it as good or bad, but just that I'm noticing that's why I'm doing it. And then I can start to say, well, I'm mindlessly looking at it and I'm looking at these posts and I'm having all these, uh, what's the word? Not so pleasant thoughts or uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. And I'm judging this person. I'm judging myself. And it's just that Trigger, sort of triggering. Yeah. And it's so yeah. weird because it, I think it's just, I think the way that it's set up and the way that we've evolved in our brains, it just, it doesn't, there's some disconnect there where it inherently is triggering us to be judgmental of ourselves and others. And I know that's not always true, right? But it, yeah. there's something going on there. And I notice just sometimes I, I can be so, you know, after a few thoughts of, you know, moral superiority or judging, you know, whatever these things I start to think, I'm like, holy crap. Wow, this is why I choose not to be on Instagram from time to time. So exactly. I'm just going to turn it off. But I'm just curious for you, how you relate to that balance and or if that's even true for you. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And it's it's really interesting. So that whole comparison game, right? Like we start, um, somebody said it to me once, and it was so good. It was basically like what we see on social media is like the front real life. It's not the behind the scenes. And what the people that I actually really admire and love to connect with on those channels are the people who are like, okay, so do you want to see what it looks like behind me? Because there's my kid <laughs> running around naked and there's laundry that's been there for six days and like, you know, the whole bit, this is my reality. Um, and I think that's just it. I think it is a really dangerous place because it can create you up for some really negative self-beliefs and limiting beliefs. And in my work, what I've discovered is that we can have limiting beliefs and triggers within our bodies that we didn't even choose that have come from like the time we were born because they're showing now scientifically we can experience trauma in our mother's womb right that something might happen to her and we absorb it because we're like all connected and that we actually it can actually go beyond that and before that because and this is like going way back there our mother when she was in my grandmother's womb had the eggs already developing in her that would develop me, right? So 
there's just all this like science behind how these things and we we walk around through life with these triggers and these these limiting beliefs that get triggered in us and we don't realize we're actively exposing ourselves to the stimuli to be able to set them off and that's what i love about like i said like i keep coming back i keep coming back to the tapping even though it's only one of the few, of the tools that i use because i was amazed at how quickly it can transform an experience and the re, the way that i sum it up and, and, and the way that, it, that I, I've changed my experience of interacting in those channels and in the different other things that you see in life, like TV shows and stuff like that, is uh, Viktor Frankl. And I don't know if you know his work, um, but he wrote, a, um, he's written a few books, but I mean, being somebody who survived Auschwitz, right? Not only was he a neuro, like, you know, all about the, the brain, but he survived Auschwitz. And his quote for me sums it up that in between like stimuli and response, there's a space. And in that space is where our power is and our freedom is to be able to choose our response. Whether we respond or react to the stimuli, whether we respond or react to noticing, right? I notice that I'm mindfully or mindlessly scrolling. And sometimes that's okay, because we need that escape. And you can be like, actually, you know, I am just gonna sit here and mindlessly scroll for a bit, but I'm gonna recognize that this is really just not reality. This is not my reality. <laughs> not everyone has that healthy framework. The tapping can help us go, oh, I'm noticing that these feelings are coming up in my body. What is it that maybe is being triggered from my past that is really, that is starting to affect how I then choose to move out in the world, right? And I think if we can, we can kind of create a framework for people to be able to be a little bit more just aware, self-aware, then those tools won't have the power over us that they endeavor to do. And I say mm -hmm. endeavor because unfortunately we know that, you know, when they were created, they were created for connection, yes, but they were also created for a whole other host of reasons. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, it's, and, and we, and luckily there's enough people in the world, I think, I do believe like you and I and other people who are out there saying, hey, just consider this. Try using this before you step into this experience, because that will give you a that will heighten your your self-awareness in the experience. So, so yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's good. And that I, I do I like Victor Frankl quite a lot. I've I've mm -hmm. only read Man's Search for Meaning, but it, yeah, I think that's the only one I've got so far book, too, but, but yeah. just his work, just his work, just yeah, the fact of what yeah. he came, what, what he came through and yeah. how easy he was able to still have compassion yeah. and caring for other human beings. And even for the people who mistreated him yeah, to be able to say, remarkable. you know, to create that space between him and the other person and the experience that came between them. I think that is such a powerful thing. And we actually have tools available to us to do that. It's just a matter of getting them out there and making sure they become more and more a part of everyday experience. Yeah, definitely. So. Ah, well, ah, Meredith, thank you. Breath. And if you can, yeah, there, there, can you just, um, it'll, I'll put it in the notes on the, like in the show notes or whatever, but sure. just, if you want to just tell people how they can find your work or, or what Def you want to leave them with. And yeah. definitely, I would love that. I would love that. Well, I, I will, uh, I will leave you with uh, remembering to always come back to your breath because our mm. breath is key. Our breath is the way to move energy, old, negative, no longer serving you energy out of your body, bringing in fresh, beautiful oxygen, find it in nature, right? If you can, 
And if you can't, if you're someone who lives, like I actually used to live in Toronto and I lived on the Danforth where, you know, finding a park was not always easy. But if you can find a tree and you can place your left hand against that tree, you will actually receive a beautiful electromagnetic charge from that tree right through your system up into your heart space. And that can be a beautiful balancing thing to do. So even if you happen to be at a nursery store, like where you're buying trees, you can do that. You don't have to be in a park. Um, and where you can find me, well, my, my, I'm on, I have a website, Thriving Life Co., which stands for Thriving Life Collective, because I believe we're all in this together. And that's the way we can walk each other home. So thrivinglifeco.com is my website. And I'm on Instagram as Aspiring Thriver. That's where I do a host of my work. Um, and yeah, come and check it out because there's something for everyone. I've just launched a uh, collective membership specifically to support teachers, educators, EAs, people who work in that realm, coaches that work with our young people um, to be able to support them in their own mental and social emotional wellness and, and awareness. Um, and there's a host of other programs on there so that it doesn't always mean being in the same place with me. We can, we have the beauty of this as well, so. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Thank yeah, you for this opportunity. It's nice. wonderful yeah. to meet you. It's I'm I'm very grateful to uh, to our mutual connection in Debbie yeah. Kermain and the yeah. work that we are doing, which is going to transform <laughs> the experience, hopefully, of school for our for our young people. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> it's such a pleasure. Yeah, yeah such a pleasure. it is. So nice it's to sit really here nice. with you Thank and share, you so much. to hold space yeah. with you to share space. Yes, with you. likewise. Um, noticing the tingles in my body, body sensations. Yeah, pleasure. And yeah. always good to be curious about those and what they mean to you. Mm, yeah, Excellent. for sure. I love okay, that. Okay, well, I will. Oh, this I guess off script, but I was going to say I'll let you know when this comes out. And yes, uh, and can yeah. I just can I just say I love how you close Please. out your podcast. I love that my state of mind. Did I get this right? My state of mind begins with me. Uh, with it me. says, yeah, basically there's a, the, the, the long form is though. There's a couple, I may want to blame you for messing with my state of mind, but I know my peace and serenity starts with me. That's one of the things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love yeah. it. It's Thanks. that reminder. We Thanks. all have a choice. We do. We do. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much, okay. Mike, for this. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I love connecting with you. And maybe one day I'm able to actually yeah, my ex yeah, my yeah. ex-in-laws are in Guelph. So okay. one day I will because I will definitely be able to visit them when life opens up again. So awesome. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Take well, care. have a good day. Yeah. Yes, you, you too. too. Bye. Okay, bye.